At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Baptist Health's Miami Cardiac Investment Institute, where I'm also chief of cardiology at Baptist Hospital and chief population health officer at Baptist Health. When we think about the amount of sugar we consume, we're probably focusing on its impact on our waistlines or its connection to diabetes and other chronic conditions like heart disease and cancer, all of which are very important. But did you ever stop to think about how sugar affects our brains? If you're thinking, I switched to artificial sweeteners, so that doesn't apply to me, well, listen up. Even without calories, artificial sweeteners pack a powerful punch to the brain. We're going to look at the many ways sugar and sweeteners affect our brain health in today's episode. My guest is Dr. Dahlia Lorenzo, a neurologist at the Miami Neuroscience Institute, part of Baptist Health South Florida. It's a fascinating subject and something we should all be much more aware of. Welcome to the podcast, Dahlia. Thank you. So let's start with sugar in general. Obviously, sugar is table sugar, which is what we generally think of, the sweet, the sweet stuff we, we use to cook and add, but there's lots of forms of sugar. Our brains do need some sugar in the form of glucose as a fuel of function. Can you talk about how the brain uses glucose? So that's actually very important because the brain only uses glucose as a fuel supply, as opposed to some of the other organs. So for example, muscle, muscle can use glucose, but then when it runs out, it has some reserves in the form of uh, uh, the glycogen and the uh, and um, uh, fat. But in the brain, the situation is different. In the brain, it, uh, the brain doesn't have any stores or reserves of energy, and it really depends minute to minute uh, for, uh, on the glucose that is provided through the circulation. So it's minute to minute. And, and if you really think about it, the brain um, per weight uses a lot more uh, uh, fuel source, uh, the glucose fuel source than any other organ in, in the body. Now, of course, we're talking about glucose in the blood, not necessarily um, in a diet. But if if the brain doesn't get enough glucose, if our blood glucose drops, uh, what are the effects of the brain? Well, as, as you can imagine, without the fuel, it's it's the nerve cells are not going to function well, and so you'll start to see some problems um, uh, with performance. Both with some people, it'll be hard for them to think; they can't concentrate. Many times, they um, uh, can actually start to show symptoms as if they were having a stroke. They uh, they can get confused, uh, and it can if it gets very very low then, you know, it can do damage. There can be actual damage done to the nerve cells. So, And we generally see that in hypoglycemia when Correct. usually patients are over-medicated with insulin and things. The neurological effects is generally how you know something's going on. Right, so, to the uh, point where they can even have seizures when the yeah. glucose yeah. drops uh, low enough, it can provoke, it can lower the seizure threshold and provoke seizures, yeah. Now, is there any risk from too high a sugar? So if the blood sugar is very elevated, does that affect the brain? Yeah, definitely. You can, uh, on the other end of the spectrum as well, first of all, you can see a lot of mood changes when the, the um, glucose gets too high. People get irritable. Many times they, they just can't concentrate well. They can't think rapidly. They've actually done studies uh, where they, they show that, you know, just can't think as rapidly. 
So our bodies do maintain a physiological range of sugar in the blood, not too low, so the brain gets the energy it needs, not too high, so the brain and organs um, 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 have, have the problems that you just described. And of course, there are medical conditions that can affect that either way. Getting back to the diet now, um, you know, we talk about table sugar. Again, it's a glucose and a fructose. Um, any, any information you can give us regarding effects of other kind of sugars in the diet, how it affects the brain. In particular, we could talk about fructose, which is found in a lot of fruits and galactose and diet and dairy. Do they have any particular effects? Or is it really just more the blood's glucose level um, as, a, um, um, you know, as controlled by our body? So in particular with fructose, you can uh, have less of the um, uh, myelin, which is found in the insulation that surrounds nerve cells. And they've actually shown in animal studies that the, the brains are, um, have um, less of that insulation. And the insulation on a nerve cell is, is very important for that nerve cell, that, ner that neuron to be able to conduct uh, the information, the electrical impulses very quickly. Yeah. So, you know, it's not to say fruit are bad for you, far from that, but we want to uh, make sure that when we talk about the brain using glucose for energy, it's generally glucose that can be from the diet, but the body will manufacture the glucose it needs. So we don't want to hyper-concentrate on eating sugars because it's good for the brain. I think that's the, <laughs> the take-home uh, message. So to that end, um, what are some of the effects of sugars on the brain? Sometimes they say Sugar, is it more addictive than cocaine to the brain? Is there, any, is there any evidence to support that kind of comment or thought? Any substance that is able to um, stimulate that dopamine sort of reward uh, uh, circuitry in the brain has a potential to become habit-forming. Addiction is a strong word, obviously, because addiction implies that you are going to go out and seek out the substance. Uh, there is some, some evidence that sugar can become very habit-forming. As you say, yeah, addiction might be a strong term, but certainly habit forming, craving, you know, lots of other uh, neurological reasons why people really find it difficult to give up sugar. Should it be for their, should it be for their uh, their health, which we'll continue to discuss. So, if we're saying that sugar in the diet, especially in its simple forms like fructose and and and, and various other uh, forms, might have some negative impact, then by using artificial sweeteners, would we be obviating that negative impact? And people say now, well, I use artificial sweeteners, so now I'm healthy and my, my brain uh, benefits from this. What's, what's, the, uh, what's, your, what's your thoughts and what's the experience in that? You're negating a lot of the caloric effects. You know, you are using substances that, um, you know, uh, have other drawbacks and specifically drawbacks that can affect you in the brain. There's there's many different types of uh, artificial sweeteners. Aspartame is metabolized to an amino acid that is uh, aspartate, which is actually a very stimulatory neurotransmitter. So, so that substance actually will overstimulate the nerve cells. And if there's a lot of it, it can overstimulate the nerve cells to the point where it damages or kills the nerve cells. There's a few amino acids that will do that. Uh, you know, aspartate is uh, uh, stimulatory. Glutamate is very stimulatory. And that's found in other uh, food substances that we're exposed to, like monosodium glutamate. Um, also, in a lot of energy drinks, there's taurine. Taurine is another stimulatory um, a neurotransmitter. So, you know, it's it's you have to be a little cautious because you're trading one thing for for another so you're not having the caloric intake but you're you're now exposing your your brain to other effects so we yeah we could we could agree on that in many parts of our body but 
uh, what I'm hearing from your expertise, artificial sweeteners are not necessarily better for anyone than sugar. Correct. Both aren't great. Correct. <laughs> is that a, is that in a nutshell? Right. So people shouldn't be fooling themselves. I'm going sugar-free and I'm drinking all these artificial substances that's necessarily better. And as you're saying, there might be some data to support that. Um, what about what about some other um, again brain health? We use terms. Anything specific towards dementia, uh, aging population? Dementia yes. certainly. Yes. Uh, so, what are the correlations there? So, as you can imagine, if you're taking uh, artificial sweeteners that are doing all of this um, overstimulation uh, that uh, is damaging brain cells, I mean, uh, over time you can develop uh, damage to the point where you you have memory issues and you can develop uh, dementia um, as this process gets worse and worse. So definitely there is a link. There has been a link established in um, uh, epidemiologic studies that there's a higher risk uh, um, for developing dementia uh, uh, for people who use the uh, artificial sweeteners. So so, so what do you, what do you, if you're seeing your patients and they're talking about, you know, whether it's a diminishing the risk of dementia or even just general brain health, clear thinking, whatever we want to look at memory. Do you, are there any kind of dietary recommendations you make or would it be more important dietary recommendations in terms of what to avoid? Do you, do you discuss that at all? And if so, what, what do you generally recommend? There's a few TED Talks that I refer to my patients to that uh, are by Neil Barnard that are power foods for the brain. And these, this, what he does there is he gives you kind of, um, you know, a summary of nutritional evidence in terms of uh, a reduction of risk for dementia. So I usually just refer them to, to, to that. But there is some evidence in the dietary world that's what, what you do in terms of the, the foods you eat and everything over time uh, uh, can be protective uh, against uh, dementia. And and the other part, which, you know, we had talked about earlier is, is the exercise. Exercise also has been shown to be pretty protective as well. So, so yeah, let's take a few minutes at the very, at the end of the conversation. Again, this is wonderful information to go over a couple of uh, other points. Um, and I do think, by the way, we're able to put those links to the TED Talks in our program notes so the listeners can look forward to that. Thank you. So uh, talk about some other lifestyle things while we got you, physical activity, exercise. So, again, avoid dementia, powerful. What, what, what's the message we get from staying physically active, especially as you get older? So staying physically active is one of the uh, very important things for overall health, as we know, but especially for brain health. And there's actually been studies in, you know, not just dementia, but in Parkinson's, oh. in Parkinson's disease, where, you know, exercise programs are very, very good for, uh, um, for keeping the brain as healthy as possible during these unfortunately, neurodegenerative conditions that, uh, you know, are progressive. Sure. So, so exercise is, is, is a very important thing. Um, the other, the other thing is I'm going to make a plug for, for something. Okay, sure. When I see a, when I see a patient that is coming to me with problems with memory, you know, we, we go through a very systematic, uh, um, uh, check of things that might be causing it. What medications are they taking that might be impairing their, their memory? But one of the things that I focus a lot on because I find a lot of it is sleep app. There are so many yeah. people out there, you know, in, in the 60s and men, it's one in four men will have sleep apnea. There'll be snorers. They have sleep apnea. And that is something that really exposes the brain to low levels of oxygen day after, I mean, night after night, week after week. 
year after year, that amount of low, uh, uh, low oxygen does damage over time. Okay, we know that it will cause changes in the MRIs, like uh, more white matter changes, what we call white matter changes. Um, so, so that is one, one of the things that I really focus on when I get a patient that is coming to me with memory issues, I wanna know, uh, do, uh, you know, is this someone who is being exposed to these clinically significant uh, levels of, of low oxygen while they're asleep? Because that that's going to do more damage, I think, than even the sugar problem. Sure, so sure. you know, for me, that that's big on the radar. It has to be said, and I appreciate that. And that, and an exercise. These are lifestyle changes. And the thing with sleep apnea, as we all know, is an individual cannot say they do not have sleep apnea because they are asleep when it occurs. <laughs> so we got, we got to go looking for it. A couple of other, uh, just this quick uh, substances. Um, alcohol. Um, we talked about you know sugar and other dietary things. What's the is there an impact of alcohol? Is it related to the kind of alcohol, the amount of alcohol? Can you, can you speak to that for a second? So alcohol, obviously, you know, we, we have a lot of epidemiologic evidence that it reduces risk for things if taken in moderation. And there's actually, you know, um, uh, recommendations that are made by American Heart, as you know, uh, about what, what are the limits to alcohol. But in the end, alcohol is a toxin. It's a toxin. Um, it's and the nerve cells are very sensitive to these toxins. So I mean, as you can imagine, if you're taking a, a drink and you feel the buzz, that's already telling you that the nerve cells are being affected by it. So so you know, the nerve cells that are most sensitive to tox uh, to the alcohol are going to be in the cerebellum. We talk about the brain a lot here, but you know, there's nerves that go out to your hands and your feet, and over time. Um, you know, regular, maybe more than moderate alcohol use can cause, you know, cumulative damage sure. to these nerves. And so uh, a lot of people down the road are going to have a lot of coordination and balance issues. And, um, you know, also the more you use, the more you're going to damage the, the brain cells. So. And then my last one um, before we wrap up, and uh, obviously can be related to sugar and artificial sweeteners, but what about specifically caffeine? Are there any specific uh, concerns or benefits to, to coffee? Well, <laughs> you're, you're talking to a caffeine addict. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm, with, you know, I'm with you, kid. <laughs> you, you, you may want to take it with a grain of salt, but actually I will have to say that uh, caffeine use in epidemiologic studies has been shown to be protective for Parkinson's. Amen. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry to say it, but uh, okay. there it is. You know, I have to look at the bright side on, of it. You know, obviously, you know, caffeine has other effects, I think, that are, are going to become more obvious, uh, such as the tachycardia when you're using too much. Um, uh, caffeine has its, uh, you know, his, has its benefits to, sure. to, However, once your brain is, you know, habituated to a certain amount of caffeine, you know, the withdrawal can really, really impact the way that people function, right? So, you know, all you have to do is miss your morning coffee and before you know it, you're in a brain fog and you're having headaches and, and that withdrawal can, you know, take about up to a week to go away and, and there's some people who are very sensitive to the, the, um, the mood alteration, the agitation, the restlessness that comes along with caffeine. So it's, it's really, you know, uh, you know, case by case scenario. Those are things that uh, it's best to just do the research and see if it's for you or not. Um, and there's just, you know, moderation is a, is a, is always a good uh, uh, rule to live by. And that's, that's the great 
take-home point to end with. Um, not to be fearful of everything we put in our mouth and put in our bodies, but but certainly uh, be cognizant of taking things that are at least in its most natural form. And and again, to me, the brain needs sugar, as we say, but it doesn't necessarily mean you need to eat sugar for the brain to get the sugar it needs. And I think there's some disconnects in our in our society. Right. So great, great information. Artificial sweeteners not necessarily beneficial or protecting you in any ways than sugar would. Both pretty much bad. Drinking in the most natural, eat things in the most natural form makes a difference. Be active, get a good night's sleep. And if you have disturbances, get it checked out. So uh, again, great information. Any final comments or anything to uh, reiterate before we, uh, before we close up? No, thank you very much for inviting me. I had fun. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. Appreciate it. And uh, to our listeners, as always, if you have any comments, thoughts, or ideas for future topics for podcasts, please email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. Thanks for listening. And until next time, stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.